0: character that God is looking for so the Ten Commandments that are twelve for elders and other servants the first one we'll just go through them quickly because I don't think any of them is particularly complicated but we should just point them out Uh, the first one is they should be wanting to serve and we see this from chapter 3 verse 1 particularly in the role of eldership Uh, here is a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer he desires a noble task. Now this whole role of eldership in, and I'm talking about a Presbyterian context, a born and bred Prezi, sort of know how it works in different churches, uh, in the Prezi, traditional Prezi churches. Uh, when Kim and I first got married, we moved town, uh, went to a new church, and as was the tradition back then, uh, we got a knock on the door from our local elder from the Presbyterian church, come to give us our communion card. If you don't know what that means, I'm not gonna explain it, but. Some of you might remember the days of the communion cards. He'd knock on the door and he says, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I think his name was John, if I remember right. Uh, and then started apologising why uh, that he shouldn't be an elder and he doesn't know why he's an elder and why he's coming to, in this role to, to help us. Lovely bloke, but he just really didn't want to be there. And you kind of got the impression that why have they dumped this job on this guy who really doesn't want to be there? I think it's just really important. That we start off by saying, uh, you've got to want to serve in this role if you want to be an elder. I'll give you one good reason. In Australia, particularly, we have such a big tall poppy syndrome. Somebody puts their head up and say, "Yeah, I'll take a leadership position." It's like it's almost like a sign of arrogance, pretentious uh, that we want to knock them down because you know who are you to say you're a leader uh, over us. But what Paul's saying is. Man, you should consider leadership, eldership, all you men. If you're a servant-hearted leader by character, you should consider being a leader amongst God's people. That's what he's after. You should consider it. But you've got to have people there wanting to serve. Number two, no skeletons in the closet. Uh, so verse two says, that Now the overseer must be, uh, must be above reproach. This doesn't mean he's beyond being questioned, beyond being critiqued. No, he's, he's actually, as an overseer, like I just said, with a leader, he's in everybody's view, everybody can look at him and give him feedback, but there's no skeletons in the closet, there's no surprises, it's just being honest, this is me, this is who I am, even if there's issues in the past they have been dealt with properly, that everything's all above board and transparent. Somebody going to leadership and gets all their skeletons brought out. And you can see that in uh, things like the American political race that if you put your head up, everybody's going to dig through the closet. And they're going to find stuff. We want elders that have just been honest, say, look, this is me, uh, and this is is who I am. Uh, Even if there's some bad stuff in the past, has it been dealt with properly? It's not saying perfection. Uh, Number three. A one woman man. That's what it means when it says the husband of but one wife. A one woman man. Faithfulness and commitment is extremely important. And he can't do that in the church if he's not doing it at home in his own family to his relationship with his wife. But we need to see he's not just talking about has this guy had an affair or not. See being this one woman man is much more significant. It's very big. It's like this is my wife. This is my other half. My partner. And And she's the one that's that's a part of me and I'm glorifying and I'm serving in my relationship at home. So one woman man means uh, even there's no room for things like flirting in that. There's no room for things like having an emotional affair, which appears to be a growing trend with all this internet stuff that people get online and meet people. There's no room for that. No room for affairs uh, within porn. It's like I'm a one woman man. man. She's my girl and I'm her man. That's what it's all about. Number four, sober-minded and self-controlled. That's what it means by uh, being temperate. Uh, Temperate literally means being sober or sober-minded as opposed to being drunk and everything gets all fuzzy and you're not clear on things, on where you stand. Saying we want you to be clear-headed, not fuzzy-headed and we want you to be uh, clear spiritually, that you're spiritually not all over the place. He throws in that self-control as well, uh, which is going along in a similar vein, not given to other influences and other addictions or anything that's going to blur where God wants you to go and God wants the church to go. There's no Jekyll and Hyde in your character. This is me. You're not going to put me in a position where I'm just going to flip and I'm a very different person. That's what we don't want. It uh, needs to be respectable. This is interesting because we have this position of eldership and with a position of leadership there is an element where they should get automatic respect. Respect for the position. They're an elder, we need to listen to them a bit more closely. But you only respect people if they're worth respecting, don't, they? don't you? That's just the way it works. So even before someone is made an elder they should be respectable. Somebody who you do respect. It's not Somebody who has potential, and they might make a good elder, let's make them an elder and we'll train them over the next 10 years. No, want somebody who's worthy of respect now to then make them an elder. Uh, Same with deacons. Uh, Number six loves hospitality, that they get involved in people's lives, over food, at their house, that they enjoy people. And it's particularly talking here about the outsider, getting the outsider in to practise hospitality, to get to know them. Now, this is very different, so in the traditional model, as I mentioned, we had an elder come to my place, knock at the door, here's a communion card, see you later. Uh, That's like the elder coming to your house, talking to you, the insider. But the actual characteristics we're looking at is we want the elder to get people to come to their house and we want them to be mainly focused on the outsiders, not the insiders. So we've got to rethink that a little bit on what we're doing, um, the role of eldership there. Uh, Number seven, able to teach. Uh, And this is probably the, this is the main difference between the list of requirements between elders and deacons, those who are leading the church and those people who are serving in ministries. In these lists, this is the main difference. Uh, Deacons, he says in verse nine, they must keep hold of the deep truth. So it's almost like the elders teach the truth we want the deacons to keep hold of the truth and maintain that truth in the way they're serving. Now, obvious question is, hang on a minute, we've got elders here and they don't all preach. What's the go with that? Uh, it's very interesting that when Paul writes, he uses different words for preaching and teaching. So preaching is more speaking God's word through human personality is the simplest way of defining preaching. So that mostly happens here in this context uh, I'm trying to speak to you, God's word, but it's going through my personality. That's preaching. Teaching is a little bit different. Teaching implies that you, you can sit down with anybody, anywhere, and in this context, you're talking about the gospel, explaining Jesus, what's Jesus' death all about, what's grace all about, how's the way of salvation and forgiveness, that somebody's able to teach. So we don't require all our elders to preach, uh, although some do, but we do require them to be able to teach. Uh, and that's like a minimum bar, really. So even for uh, the deacons as he's talking about it, we want you guys to be, be teachers. Follow, follow the teachings of what we hold to in this church. But you guys too uh, need to be able to do that. And we want to encourage everybody, thinks and trains in explaining the gospel. That's the able to teach. Number eight, uh, not prone to drunkenness. I uh, hope this is kind of obvious. Um... But doesn't mean don't drink alcohol at all. Uh, in fact, Paul will say later to Timothy, it's good for you to drink a bit more wine. Stop drinking so much water. So Paul's got nothing against alcohol. He's very clear on being drunk, though, and losing control. That's not you and how God created you. Don't get drunk. Is very clear. It was a few years back we had an elder uh, here <clears throat> who made his own home brew. In fact, loved making his own uh, homemade wine and whenever we talked about it he was very clear to, to boast that he was more like Jesus than us because he made his own wine which uh, is true Jesus made his own wine there's nothing against alcohol in this but watch your character don't get drunk don't lose control uh, not violent but gentle is our number nine uh, not violent but gentle So we want guys in leadership that people want to follow, not that people feel like they're pressured to follow through threats and feeling in danger themselves. So we want guys who are going to uh, not go on angry rants or threaten people. There's no room for that. It's one of the sad sides of our denomination, being involved in uh, Presbytery and other churches and things like that, it's not that, not that unusual to find their meetings are very hostile places where people go on rants and yell at each other, get very angry uh, and there's no room for that. Uh, he says don't be quarrelsome, similar word but I think a little bit different in that just don't even let it build up to be a drama if you've got issues within your leadership. Uh, now in our leadership team, uh, I love how it works, we have very healthy discussions. I think if anybody starts to think, oh, the leadership team, just do whatever Ross says, you obviously haven't talked to an elder, because I come up with lots of harebrained ideas that they shoot down. Uh, But we talk about things and we talk about it in good constructive ways, everybody has their input. But when we make a decision as a leadership team, that is the decision we run with. And once we leave that leadership team, it's like we watch each other back. This is our policy on this. It becomes a quarrel when we start getting a chip on our shoulders against each other or when that, that discussion spills out into the rest of the congregation. And I'm really glad with our way our elders work that that has never happened and I hope it continues to never happen, uh, that we don't let any sort of quarrels build up, get out of hand or spill out t- uh, outside of our meetings. Number 10, that they're not a lover of money. They want to make sure that the agenda is clearly about Jesus. And as we get to chapter 6 at the end of the book, money blurs all that. It's a very big temptation to start chasing the money dream rather than chasing what Jesus has got in mind for you. We want our leaders to be examples of that. We want our leaders to be examples of how to manage their own money well, to be leaders in generosity, all dealing with money and that we're mastering our money, not the money mastering us. Uh, for the deacons, it says something similar in not pursuing dishonest gain, that even anybody serving in ministry should follow that. Number 11 says he should manage his family well. So from verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's, of God's church? Now, last week, uh, we were reminded about God's order of creation, how this is a, a really big call on the men to step up and lead your family well uh, to do that. And that's if you can do that in a smaller context, like your family, important context, but a smaller context, you've chance of doing it in a bigger context. What he's not saying here, because I think it's worth mentioning, is his children must be believers. He stopped short of saying that. I mean, I wish it was true that we could make all our Christ, all our children believers. But practically speaking, theologically speaking, we can't do that. So it's actually worded, uh, I think, quite sensibly by Paul, just to say, look, he's, it's not up to the dad. It, it is up to the dad to do as much as he can to lead his family to Christ. But at the end of the day, God's got to change that person's heart. That person's got to, got to call on God themselves. Uh, so therefore... Their family is being critiqued. How does this guy manage his family? Does he manage his family well? For the deacons in verse 10, it actually adds a little bit more. Um, It says, uh, in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Which is, again, just a reflection of is he managing his family well at home? Uh, last one, number 12 of our Ten Commandments. Are uh, prepared to be tested. Because he says this stuff about how Satan will try and attack our leaders and will look for weaknesses. So he goes on in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Uh, for deacons he says uh, they must be tested first and then if there is nothing against them let them serve as deacons this whole thing about uh, you've got to know what you're stepping into if God's doing amazing things in a church Jesus being glorified he's he's changing people's lives The obvious point where Satan's going to attack and stop that from happening is through the leadership. He will attack the leadership, does attack the leadership. So we need leaders who've got that maturity to know that, hey, if I step up to this, there are going to be threats on my marriage, on my home, on my workplace, on my relationships. It changes dynamics. Satan will try and look for weaknesses in you. So we need to keep that in mind when we're calling on our leaders to know that you're actually really stepping up into the firing line. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? So we can see in here there's lots of about character. This is the sort of person we're looking for. There's not a lot about ability. So the main one about ability is the able to teach. That is something you can learn, something you're able to There's so much about character. We want good elders because they look like this. Their heart's in order. Their home's in order. Their history is in order. You know, there's that balance we know all about this person uh it's about their character we want them in that this position and this is good and right we want elders in a leadership position to be leading us in a way of godliness this is where oh, sorry, excuse me. this is where it's easy for us to get this a bit wrong Because often when we think of uh, churches and structures, we want to put key people in key strategic places, which is the right thing to do, but sometimes that detracts from what everything we've just talked about. So uh, I'm an elder, uh, I'm a teaching pastor, and how that looks like for my character and the things I do. Let me show you a job advertisement I found. It is a real job advertisement for a church looking for their minister. I want to read to you the things they're expecting him to do. A little bit in the context of what we've just heard. This, this is his character, things he wanted to do, but this is what we want him to do. I'll just read out to you. I haven't got it up there. Uh, that he organises the worship on Sundays, that he collaborates with the music coordinator, he leads the worship and preaches every Sunday. He responds to requests for visits, provides crisis care and counselling, presides at weddings and funerals as requested, responds to uh, communications, whether by phone, email or letters. Uh, plans for meetings, where, so he prepares for the meetings, whether board or presbytery or other committees. Attends all official board meetings. Uh, has a, he has a seat on all committees of the church. Uh, he plans and leads the uh, Bible studies, uh, so he prepares them as well. And outreach, he's, he participates in the community at large, so they want to see him out in the community. Uh, They want to see him organising activities for the church that supports inclusion, so bringing other people in. They want him to have regular contact with other ministers in the area. That he attends presbytery meetings and conferences as required. Assists with one presbytery committee in the denomination stuff. And then the very last point, it says, spiritual nurture and study is assumed to be integral part of the work of the minister. It's like, man, after he's done all that, where's he got time to do his study and actually his personal devotion with God? And you kind of go, hang on, on one hand, we've picked this guy because of his character, his preaching and his pastoral care, his people skills. But on the other hand, we've dumped him with all this committee staff, all this preparation, all this admin, all this coordination. He's holding the church together. Now, I don't know this church. It was just downloaded off the, off, uh, the internet. But it's like, it's actually a real danger for us of what we do. So it's interesting. <coughs> our church, uh, we referred to earlier, excuse me. <coughs> our church has gone through so many changes uh, in the last ten years since we've been here. That being a small, <coughs> small congregation, uh, you know, group of not much more than a dozen people up in the house. It was not that hard to to be on top of everything and doing things make sure everything worked. With continual change, with growth, with moving to different places, things have just changed and they're changing all the time. And to do that, uh, my role hasn't changed that much. So from doing admin, you know, we've got some people helping in the office, Karen helps with the admin and things like that. But when it comes to, um, there's lots of things that involve me. And what it felt like coming to the end of last year was a really, really busy time. Uh, And it was just the diversity of things that were going on. (coughs) Sorry about that. (coughs) I would be losing my throat at this point. Lots of things going on. Uh, And I run my week pretty full. It's pretty full. And it doesn't take much extra to jump in my week to go, oh man, I'm really busy now, I'm under the pump. And like any job, you can do things that are a bit stressful for a week or two weeks, you can have that bit of stress and work through that. But what happened last year, I was juggling lots of, this is what I felt like, juggling lots of balls. There's a bit of this, bit of that, uh, all church related, job related, denominational related. Uh, but then there's also, with the character, family is important, that's one of those balls you can't drop as well. Uh, my own personal devotion, that's another ball. If you drop that, you're in trouble as well. Juggling all, it, and I dropped some balls. And I just felt really overwhelmed. It's like, what are we doing here? I'm not doing anything well trying to do this stuff. Uh, so that was towards the end of last year. I had a bit of a meltdown. Just going, oh, just feeling really overwhelmed. Uh, Talk to my elders, they saved the day. Most people probably wouldn't realise uh, because they they covered for me at the time. But it made us work through a process, and I've talked about this with the elders, of going, hang on a minute, we're doing things wrong here. There's this thing about getting guys in ministry who their main roles are preaching, or their gifts are preaching and pastoral care, so people stuff, that is the stuff I love doing and Kim loves doing with me. We love the people stuff. But as things have changed and grown in this church, there's been a whole lot of other stuff have come in on top of that. And this year, we're trying to work through that and do things a little bit differently so we can do, in my role, do those things well. Because that's what I'm called to do. That's what God's given me gifts to do. And some other things that other people who are better qualified and better able to do it, uh, that they can manage that and do a better job at it than me as well. We're working through that. Because I think it's just a real trap for any church, particularly growing through different stages, uh, to realise the minister's role changes and that's something that we're working through at the moment. Uh, and just while we're working, talking about that, I feel like I want to apologise here. The, um, uh, so when I do my week, it's a busy week, other things come in and make it extra busy. If I'm doing things like preaching, got commitments for Sunday... Uh, Often what happens, I'll time my week to try and get them done by Friday, leave Saturday free, but if things get busy, Things like my sermon, because I don't have to get that done until Sunday, gets pushed into Saturday. What that means, and that's my time management, that's my responsibility, I'm not having a whinge here. But what that means is if that happens, uh, that inhibits things that happen on Saturdays, whether it's social things, uh, we just got to watch, what, how am I going with my week to be involved with Saturday things. Things like working bees, I love working bees for the fact that we're working together, we're working on something and it's tangible, we do it together and there's a finished product sometimes I'm not at working bees or prayer meetings that come up I'm not at prayer meetings. It's not that I'm a slacker, it's just that I'm at home doing other work that has to get done for Sunday. I kind of feel like I want to apologise for that but just to know that um, I'm the one that's doing the sermon so it's got to be done and and we're blessed to have so many other people in the church that can do all these other things. That's my uh, burden that I'm carrying at the moment but I just want you to know I'm with you guys, I haven't let you guys down but while you're going to bed Saturday night I'm probably still riding for Sunday again which is something I need to improve on. Uh, So please forgive me for that. Just quickly moving on to the last couple of points Uh, we're serving in the boss's house now when we're talking eldership and what's going on there we realise the bar is set high but then you've got to realise what is going on So from verse 13, he says, those who have served well gain excellent standing and great assurance in the faith of Jesus Christ. Many people go into the leadership because they think it's all about them. It's going to make them a better leader. But he says, no, actually, when you go into leadership, you've got a front row seat to what Jesus is doing in people's lives. I love it when we get together in a the staff room's the example. When I talk to, to Benny and what happened at youth or Bindi, what happened at kids' church, they come back with all these stories. It's great. The kids are talking about Jesus in their own conversations or the new people coming up into youth or whether it's mum's group or whether it's growth groups, all those other things. When you're involved in ministry, you've got a front row seat that actually shows you it's God at work that's doing this, builds you up in your faith. So I encourage you for that fact alone. Try and get involved in ministry to see God at work in that because we are working closely with God. Have a look at what he says from verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. See, this is God's place. We're God's family, and to be a leader, to be serving in that, is a huge privilege. You're working close to the boss. It'd be a little bit like if I asked, if I needed a hand at home and I said, hey, can somebody help us around the house a bit? It's a paid position. Yeah, you know, it's just Ross's place. You come, you're dressed in your casual gigs, you know I will be. Uh, what's to be done? You know, to tidy up a little bit. We wouldn't know what to do with help anyway at home. And you do. But then you get a phone call. You get a phone call from somebody like a Wayne Bennett coach of the Broncos. It's like, yes, sir Wayne, you know, whatever you want, Wayne. He says, look, I heard you're doing helping people out of their home. Would you come over to my place? Yeah, this is Wayne Bennett. I want to impress him. I'm going to dress a little bit smarter. I'm going to be on my best behaviour. Uh, what do you want, Wayne? What can I do for you, Wayne? What can I I want to help him doing him well. But then you get a call, another call. It's Prince William on the line. He says, actually, we're a bit sure staff over at the palace. I heard you're doing some serving. Would you come around and give us help? And you'd be working um, with kids, uh, with the other royals. You know, Are you interested? Oh, you bet. You're on the next flight over. And you go, how am I going to dress? I'm going to dress formal. I want to impress these guys. I'm going to do everything they say. I'm going to do it really well because these are the royals. and working in the palace. This is going to be fantastic. It's a little bit like that when we go, where are we serving here are we serving? Oh, you know, it's just Ross's place. I'll just give him a hand and see you later. But this is God's household. This is God's family. We're working side by side with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a real privilege to be serving, particularly in leadership, but anywhere in ministry. We've got to realise this is not just some ordinary group we're working with here. This is God's family. So we are working close to the boss. We are working God's household. We need to remember that. Uh, I just want to quickly... Bring it down to chapter 5, because he does talk about elderships and it balances out our conversation of what we've just talked about. Uh, I've called it paying conditions, because he, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honour, especially those who work his preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. As far as honour and pay goes, things like that, I feel like I'm very honoured uh, in this congregation, very respected, I don't deserve any more than that. Uh, You know my weaknesses. As far as pay go, we don't really have to talk about that. We can put in some report, the community management and leadership team look after that. I don't want to spend time on that. So I want to bring you down a little bit further to where he's talking about. And this passage is specifically to elders, but it does have some repercussions for all people in ministry. Uh, Down to verse 19, what what are we expecting from our elders? Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. It implies our elders are accountable. They're on public display, in a sense. Remember all those characteristics we talk about? Uh, Have they got their head in order, their heart in order, their home in order, their history in order? All that's on display because they're leaders and they want to lead by example. Uh, So they're up to scrutiny. But we're not going to take that scrutiny lightly. If somebody's got an accusation against one, we're going to listen to that. But we want to investigate it properly. Uh, verse 20. This is why we want to investigate it properly. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that others may take warning. Uh, let, me, let me read how he deals with sin, and how he talks about sin in the life of an elder. Uh, jump down to verse twenty two do not be hasty in the laying of hands and do not share in the sins of others. keep yourself pure verse twenty four The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them in the same way good deeds are obvious, and even those who are not uh, even those that are not cannot be hidden uh, so what he 's saying is People can see your lives. And if you're in a leadership position, uh, you're actually inviting people because you're leading them in a Christ-like way. If there is sin to be dealt with within our leadership, it's just like a family. You know how we just talked about like God's family, this is God's house. If something happens in a family with one of your family members where they've done something, something's happened to them, what do you normally do? You sit down and you talk about it together. Look, this has happened. Uh, somebody has to either make confession or apologise. Uh, there's forgiveness. They could be hurt. But there's issues to be dealt with as a family, as a family unit. That's what we're like as a church, that if a leader being under scrutiny his sin is going to be more public than anyone else's. So I hope my elders don't all walk out at this point. But as an elder, if one of them fall, we've got to talk about this as a church. Not to, to ridicule him, but hopefully in order to see how he deals with that in a godly way, to, to, that he repents, that we learn from that experience. Because as he's saying... If sin is left undealt with, it's going to fester, it's going to spread, it's going to impact the whole church, particularly if it's coming from a leader. The leadership sets the standard. If the leadership says, hey, this sort of sin is okay, sure, the congregation's going to follow that lead. Alternatively, though, that last verse we read, if he's done good works, that's going to be noticed as well, that that should be followed, that that should be led, that he should be rich in good works. And and sin's got to be dealt with. That is a huge responsibility, huge responsibility. And why does he say that? Because this is God's family, this is God's house. It's really precious to him that we deal with these things properly. For that reason, that reason alone, when we look at their character, we look at what they are put on the line. These guys are volunteers, at least I get paid for what I do and what I love. But they've put themselves out there to lead this church, to lead it in God's ways, to steer it in the direction. They've put themselves out there to say, hey, look, I'm doing my best to live the godly life, to trust in Jesus and for you to do the same. So I encourage you to look to your leaders to those sort of things. But know that we are blessed to have good leaders in this church, to not take them for granted and to value our leaders. It's what this is all about. It's not just who should be a leader, it's how to value our leaders because they've actually put themselves out there for that i'm going to pray uh, i am going to thank god for our leaders but i'm also going to pray for strength and protection from the evil one as well dear father i do thank you that you're a good god that you do good things for us and our church we see it we experience it and lord we praise you for it that it is your church it's not us it's not our kingdom but we're serving in your household and lord what a privilege it is whether we're leaders as elders whether we're leaders in ministry or serving even the smaller areas that nobody even notices we thank you for the privilege it is to be serving in your household but Lord, we want to commit to you our leaders well thank you for the reminder that it is a great responsibility to be leading your household uh, under jesus christ lord we know uh, the elders are just men they're weak they're fallible Lord help them to trust in you help them not to drop the ball with their families with their own devotional life and with their leadership the way they lead all of us Lord help us to manage those things wisely and Lord help us to respect our leaders and give them the honor they are due but Lord we just pray that you continue to bless us with more people who stand up and lead as we grow as our needs uh, increase as well as opportunities to reach our community with Je- the message of Jesus. That you continue to build us up, prepare us, uh, so we can be reaching out with the good news of Jesus Christ to our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.